Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. Well, happy Thanksgiving week and welcome to a special edition of Truth and Liberty. Hi, Alex McFarland here. We've got a great show tonight. And as we get into the topic, a very special guest that you'll meet in just a, a moment, Dr. Robert Pacienza of D. James Kennedy Ministries in Florida. He's also the pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, just one of America's great churches, really with a great heritage of cultural impact. But Dr. Dr. Pacienza is also the author of a book that we're going to talk about called The Hope of the World, Christian Cultural Engagement in a Secular Age. But I do want to welcome you. And uh, this is a great week. You know, Richard Harris was on last night, and I had him on the radio earlier today. And uh, it was just really great because uh, we were talking about Patriot Academy and Incidentally, as the show concludes tonight, I'll be on my way in North Carolina to speak for a Patriot Academy meeting. So God is doing things, and we just give God the glory that you are watching tonight. And in a few moments, we're going to get to questions. And so you might want to jot this number down because you can ask Dr. Pacienza and myself a question. It could be a question about the subject, about being salt and light in our culture, could be a Bible question. The phones will be open at 719-619-2341. But I, I've got to tell you this, and I want to say a big thank you to Richard Harris and the crew and uh, Andrew Womack. Last Wednesday, this is amazing, folks. Last Wednesday, I was in Western North Carolina in my home state, and I had been to a board meeting with the Billy Graham ministry. I've got the privilege of serving on one of their boards. So I'm on Interstate 40, headed east, back to Greensboro, North Carolina, 165-mile drive. I just randomly stop off at a convenience store to get a, a soda pop, right? Well, I go in this convenience store, and on a flat-screen TV up in the corner, there is, guess what program? Truth and Liberty. And it was very surreal. I go in this store, and there I am on the Truth and Liberty show. We did a program several uh, weeks back with Carl Kirby talking about apologetics. And I was standing in line to pay for my soda pop, and the lady at the counter looked at the screen, and she looked at me, and she goes, that's you. And, and I, I said, yes, ma'am, I guess it is. But here's my point. Truth and Liberty is making an impact and people are watching, and you're watching, and we give God the glory. And we give God the glory for our very special guest, one of whom is Dr. Robert Pastienza. Uh, I've known of him for some years, but back two months ago, Richard Harris and I were speaking in Washington at the Pray, Vote, Stand event put on by Tony Perkins and Family Research Council. And D. James Kennedy Ministries had an exhibit there, and they were filming and interviewing people, and I had the privilege of being on an interview. But uh, Dr. Pacienza, I want to say thanks for being with us tonight on Truth and Liberty. But even more importantly, thanks for what you're doing for the kingdom of God. 
and empowering people and impacting people in our culture. Because as your book title says, uh, it is a secular age, and I want to get into that. But first of all, welcome, and thank you for all of the, the ministry impact that you're doing. Alex, it's a true privilege to be on your show. Well, uh, you're probably in Florida, right? I am. We're located in Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. Doesn't it feel uh, like Thanksgiving or the, yeah. uh, or the fall or winter season, but uh, we're enjoying the weather and enjoying our time down here nevertheless. Well, well, praise God. I, I'm a little envious, I suppose, because here in the uh, mid-Atlantic region, we're starting to feel like winter. But um, speaking of Florida, tell us about Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, D. James Kennedy Ministries, your own broadcast. Tell us about the ministries. Absolutely. So Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church was founded by D. James Kennedy back in 1960. It soon became the fastest growing church in North America. And one of the reasons uh, Dr. Kennedy tells the story that the church grew so rapidly was because of evangelism explosion. Uh, the idea that not only the pastor was responsible to preach the gospel and to share the gospel, but every person sitting in the pew could share the gospel as well. And uh, God brought the increase. Uh, it, it, drew, it grew into uh, a megachurch in the 1970s, and then in the late 1970s, eventually went on TV. And D. James Kennedy Ministries, Coral Ridge Ministries, was born. Uh, yeah. And uh, ever since then, uh, they've been using TV, radio, now podcast, movies, documentaries to help share uh, not only how the gospel transforms individuals, but how does the gospel also transform nations, societies, and culture. And I came to faith under D. James Kennedy as a 14-year-old boy at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, and now have the privilege of serving as its senior pastor and also serving as president and CEO of the media ministry. Wow. That, yeah, it's got to be very special. And, uh, you know, think about how God sovereignly puts our lives together, uh, what, salvation, gifting, service. I mean, as a, as a little boy, under the ministry of just one of the great Christian thinkers of the 20th century, James Kennedy, I mean, you couldn't have known where your journey with Jesus would lead, but yet God knew and he orchestrated those details. It's a lot to get your mind around, isn't it? It's, it's amazing to see the providence of God, to see what God did through uh, bringing my family to Fort Lauderdale uh, as a 14-year-old boy, to sit under the teaching and preaching ministry of D. James Kennedy, and then to have the privilege of being mentored. Uh, he became uh, the man that would disciple me. Uh, he would give me a passion for both the Great Commission and the cultural mandate. Uh, he was the first pastor that I saw that would stand in the pulpit and apply God's word to all of life. Uh, he yeah. truly believed that Jesus was Lord of every sphere of society. And I, I was captivated by that message. I was captivated uh, by the thought that Christianity was relevant to all of life. And through him mentoring me, discipling me, uh, gave me the passion for what I'm now doing today uh, in our current context and, and our ministry here at Coral Ridge and mm -hmm. both D. James Kennedy Ministries. You, you know, there, there's a lot present and future that I want to talk about, but just to go back a little bit, because um, as, as I shared with you when you and I have had previous conversations, 
my mom and dad were hugely impacted by James Kennedy in the mid-'80s. Um, and they were watching the show, The Coral Ridge Hour. And I remember, um, I don't know that I had come to Christ yet. I was about 21, but this was just as Reagan began his second term. So I'm going to say this is like 1985. And uh, my parents, they wanted me to watch this VHS tape they got, and I did. And it was James Kennedy teaching about the faith of George Washington, the faith of our founding father. And um, I, you know, going to public school, I'd never heard any of this. And I remember in the context of the message, James Kennedy was showing this famous picture of George Washington praying at Valley Forge and knelt down and saying that, you know, our, our country was founded by Christian devout followers of Christ and on Christian principles. And just like they were used by God in the revolutionary period, we could be used by God today. Now, that blew my mind because I had never heard anything like that. But um, James Kennedy was ahead of the curve. I mean, not only kind of warning people what would happen if we drifted further and further away from biblical truth, but, but pointing out the, the biblical foundations, how those ought to be preserved. I mean, he really was ahead of the curve in, in all of that, wasn't he? He really was. He was a man of his time. Um, yeah. it, what the church was founded in 1960, uh, but God had brought Jim and Ann Kennedy to Fort Lauderdale the year before in 1959. Uh, students of history understand what happened in 1959. Not only were we in the midst of the Cold War, uh, but the revolution in Cuba happened which yeah. happens to be 90 miles off the shore and off the coast of Florida. So you have to understand, he's planning this evangelical church in the midst of the Cold War in the early 1960s, uh, the communist revolution's happening, and there was a real sense of fear in society. What would happen if these atheistic ideas came into America? Uh, what would happen if Marxism took, took root uh, here in America, in our government, in our media, in our university systems? And he was the one really sounding the alarm. Uh, all throughout the 1960s and 70s and 80s and up until his death in 2007, of what would happen if we had a godless public square? What would happen if faith was removed uh, from the public square of ideas? Um, and unfortunately, we continue uh, to ignore that call that he was sounding uh, back mm. in the early 1960s. But as you said, he was a man of his time and he was a prophet of his time and, and really had a, a pulse on not only what was happening spiritually in our nation, but how that applied to the current cultural moment. Um, what is the state of the public square? I, I know James Kennedy used this kind of language, Chuck Colson, who was a friend and mentor in my life, but talking about the if the public square is removed from a Judeo-Christian moral conscience, and if God is really put out of the conversation, you know, what would that look like? And let me ask you, this, are, are we there? Uh, is there a residue of Christianity left in the conscience of the culture? It's a great question. So the, we get the phrase public square from the literal public squares that existed, um, it, particularly in Western Europe. The public square was where arts and entertainment would happen. It's where the 
uh, uh, debate would happen, ideas would be debated uh, concerning the values and the virtues of the society. We don't necessarily have a public square in every city today, uh, not necessarily a public square where everybody's coming out conversing and debating ideas and dialoguing uh, regarding values and virtues, but we certainly have the proverbial public square. And so the mm. proverbial public square is that place where um, entertainment and arts and science and business and politics and government all intersect. Um, and the question has always been, what is the role of faith? Does faith play a role in the public square? And as I always tell our people here at Coral Ridge, it is not opinion, but it is fact. Those societies that have welcomed faith and particularly the Judeo-Christian worldview into the public square, those societies always flourish. Where faith and particularly the Judeo-Christian worldview has been rejected from the public square, those societies flounder. And we unfortunately mm -hmm. have bought the lie over the last 50 to 60 years here in North America is that our public square would be stronger and healthier if it didn't have faith in it. If we, re if, if we said faith just remains in the sanctuary on Sunday morning, if faith just remains in the privacy of our homes, uh, faith really plays no role in the public square. And I think anybody uh, that has a mind, any thinking person can look at the current state of our culture, the current state of our public square, art and entertainment, the university, education, politics and government and say, we are no better off uh, than we were 50 or 60 years ago. And fact, we are floundering as a nation, floundering as a society, uh, because uh, faith has been removed from the public uh, debate and from the public square, and instead just simply been privatized. And we're paying you know, the price just, for it. Yeah, we are. We are paying the price. You know, just this week, I saw two quotes, um, one from Bill Maher, you know, famously liberal Bill Maher of the show Politically Incorrect, who, you know, for decades, uh, his, you know, shtick was making fun of Christianity and making fun of God and advocating for progressivism. Another person, Michael Shermer, I've debated Michael Shermer and I've moderated debates. He, he is a professed atheist of Skeptic Magazine. But both Bill Maher and Michael Shermer this week, in two unrelated quotes, but very similar, they basically, I, I mean, very honestly said we were wrong. You know, 20 years ago, we thought there would be this wonderful new world if we could free ourselves of the shackles of religion and morality, and we were very progressive. And now with cancel culture and, you know, the silencing of any voice of dissent and uh, the introduction of Marxist ideas, you know, both Bill Maher and Michael Shermer basically said, look, the morals that we had while I'm not a religious person, they would say, they held us together. And uh, as, as an old time liberal, I realize I advocated a worldview that even silences my liberalism. We were wrong. Now, uh, the question is, is there still time to get the train back up on the tracks? But uh, I think we're to the point, it's not just you and I that are sounding the warning cry. Even people who don't know the Lord have no vested interest in the preservation of Christianity. Even atheists like Mar, Shermer, and others are saying, wait just a minute. 
we, we've basically dismantled the fiber of the country. That, that's very telling, isn't it? It, it is, and that and that really is what how we define a secular age, uh, mm. an age that has no place uh, and no tolerance for religion, morality, or absolutes. And it's it like I said before, you have to be absolutely ignorant or blind, or just choose to not want to acknowledge the cultural chaos that we're currently experiencing as a nation and ultimately Western civilization as a whole. And the yeah. only thing we can point back to is that lie that we bought 50, 60 years ago, that a secular age, a secular society, as you said, would free us from the shackles of uh, morality, religion, uh, the archaic doctrines of Christianity and the Judeo-Christian worldview. And it's amazing to see the state of our nation, the state of society, and see what happens uh, when you have a godless public square, when you have a godless nation, when you have a godless civilization uh, from the government to the university systems, all the way to uh, the media, both mainstream media and social media. Uh, you see what's happening on TikTok just the last few weeks um, and, and how that is taking a generation by storm. Oh, yeah. How it's indoctrinating the next generation. I mean, the, this is not entertainment. I mean, if there's any parents or grandparents listening, social media, particularly TikTok, is not entertainment. These are the these are the philosophers and prophets of the secular age that, uh, that are true. indoctrinating the next generation. And um, the church needs to really wake up to the agendas of progressivism and the agenda mm -hmm. of the secular age and those that are leading it. I want to talk about your book, uh, The Hope of the World, Christian Engagement, Christian Cultural Engagement. I think that title, uh, it's important to get the title in a secular age. What is the premise of your book, Dr. Pacienza? Well, I've already defined what a secular age is, a, a godless age, a, a, an age, a society that has no room for uh, the free exercise of religion. Keep religion to yourself. Keep religion private. So in a secular age, how can the church and the message of the gospel still be the hope of the world? And the, the ultimate premise of the book is that we need to have a long view of history. And the church mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ has always brought hope and healing uh, into a dark and dying world. Uh, we have always been the light of the nations. We have always been the city on a hill. And in a very uh, dark age, uh, particularly in the first few centuries where Christianity came into the world, and we need to understand what did that world look like uh, where Rome was in charge, uh, pagan religion uh, ran supreme, uh, Caesar worshiped, they, they worshiped Caesar as Lord. Uh, but that mm -hmm. is the world in which Christianity came into. And just in a matter of a few centuries, Rome was toppled, the city of man, and out of the ashes of the city of Rome, as Augustine writes, rises the city of God. And yeah. the church was the hope of the world uh, in the first few centuries. It's the only explanation for how God could use an obscure group of Galileans uh, that followed an executed Messiah and eventually transformed them into the greatest movement the world has ever seen. So we need to take our cues from church history and say, this has always been our call, no matter what the obstacle, no matter what the age, no matter how secular the world got, 
uh, the church still stands strong. And so instead of being a doomsdayer and just running away from culture and saying, well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, I felt compelled to write a very short book saying how we need to once again uh, be the hope of the world in in a world that's floundering and in a world that I believe is ultimately searching for meaning and hope and satisfaction and peace. And we have the one message and the one mission uh, that solves and answers all of the problems uh, that the world is ultimately longing for. You you know, uh, when you and I were in Washington back in September at the Pray Vote Stand event. One of the speakers was a guy named Oz Guinness, that he has spoken for us in our uh, apologetics conferences. Brilliant guy, incredible personality for the Lord. Did did you happen to hear, uh, I know he spoke twice, but did you hear the speeches of Oz Guinness at that event in Washington? I did. I I heard his keynote address on Friday evening. It was absolutely brilliant. And then we actually had him speak at our luncheon, another uh, ministry that we lead as the Center for Christian Statesmanship up in Washington, D.C. And he talked about what does it mean for faith to be in the public square, uh, particularly in the 21st century? What are we doing as the church to pray up and send out uh, missionaries to what Dr. Kennedy called modern-day Rome, that being Washington, D.C. So both of his talks were absolutely brilliant. They they really were. And folks, you you know, my my personal rule, I never recommend a book that I haven't read at least once. And Oz Guinness, his name is spelled O-S-G-U-I-N-N-E-S-S. I think that's how you spell his last name, Oz Guinness. But he wrote a book called The Dust of Death. Um, that you really ought to read. But the reason I bring this up, uh, Dr. Pacienza, talking about having the long view and being in it for the duration. Folks, this thing of your service for the Lord Jesus, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And part of why we do Truth and Liberty is to hopefully give you strength for the journey. But Oz Guinness said this, and you, you may recall from that luncheon, uh, that Henry Kissinger was meeting, I think it was with Mao Zedong in the 70s. And, you know, um, under the Nixon years, we had uh, a very um, tentative relationship with Red China, but they were making small talk and um, talking about history. And Kissinger says to Mao Zedong, um, uh, what do you think are the implications of the French Revolution? Now, this is 250 years ago. But Mao Zedong said, it's too soon to tell. Now, that is a, do you remember that quote, if I've got it right? But it's, you know, a lot of times we evangelical Christians, I mean, we barely uh, think about uh, an election two years away or something like that. But, you know, really, and maybe this is an example of how the the sons of this world are sometimes wiser than the children of light. We think too small, aim too low, and quit too soon. Whereas, you know, the the Marxist and the communist, I mean, they think in terms of centuries, not not weeks and months. We've got to have a long-term view and a lifelong commitment, don't we? 
Absolutely. When I hear Christians say this is the worst time to be alive as a Christian, uh, my heart just breaks. This is an incredible time to be alive, an incredible time to be the church of Jesus Christ. And that was really the message of the book, The Hope of the World. This is an incredible Mm -hmm. opportunity in a world that is floundering to say, no, we have... We have the answer. We have the hope, and it's found in Jesus Christ. We need to remember what happened to the people of God when they were in Egypt, when they were in Babylon, uh, Christianity coming into the world in, 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 in the midst of the height of the Roman Empire, and uh, empires come and empires go, kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, uh, but the church of God and the people of God always remain because Christianity is an unstoppable force. It's an unstoppable movement. And it truly is the answer for a lost and dying world. Now, folks, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to get to phone calls. I want to give two numbers, and then I'm going to ask Dr. Pacienza for a homework assignment for us. But the number, if you've got a question you want to call in, the number is 719-619-2341. Maybe you need prayer. Tonight we're talking about serving the Lord, and maybe you need to come to Christ. Maybe you need to come back to Christ. If you need prayer or you've got uh, just you need someone to talk with and with an open Bible, we will give you God's word for your situation. The number for spiritual help and encouragement is this number, 719-635-1111, And uh, no strings attached. Uh, we just want to encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you need spiritual help, that's the number you can call. But uh, Dr. Pacienza, uh, what websites uh, would you recommend for yourself, for Coral Ridge, for James Kennedy Ministries? Tell us where to find you online. Absolutely. Uh, The easiest way to find us is djkm.org. That stands for D. James Kennedy Ministries, djkm.org. There you can find a a wealth of resources, articles, blog posts, video clips, trailers, um, and also our store where you can buy all of our books, uh, where you can purchase DVDs, video downloads, and also you can find uh, the TV listings for our nationally syndicated television program, Truths the Transform, that comes out every Saturday and Sunday. So you can check uh, the, your local listings, but go to djkm.org, and you can find out where we're uh, on in your area and all of the resources, both print and digital resources that are available through D. James Kennedy Ministries. Are, are Dr. Kennedy's books still in print? Absolutely. And you can find all of his books there as well. Yeah. Um, what, what are one or two that you especially recommend? Well, oh, oh my goodness, that's a hard one. Um, hmm. I'm going to give you three. Uh, what okay. if Jesus had never been? What if Jesus had never been born? Just the impact yeah. of Jesus Christ throughout civilization, and then he followed up, and we're, we're actually are about to release a documentary based on this book. It's called "What If the Bible Had Never Been Written," talking about the impact and the influence of the Bible on civilization. And then the third one is called "Lord of All." And it's about the Christian worldview. How is Jesus Lord of government, education, family, marriage and sexuality, uh, arts and entertainment? Um, If Jesus Christ is Lord, he is Lord of all. So they would be my three personal favorites from the library of D. James Kennedy. 
Amen. You, you know, I appreciate as an apologist and, and trying to equip people to defend the Christian faith, he wrote a book for skeptics. He wrote a book responding to the objections of skeptics. Do you, are you familiar with that one? Absolutely. That's his classic, Why I Believe. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a great book, Why I Believe in the Resurrection, Why I Believe in the Virgin Birth, Why I Believe in the Inerrancy of Scriptures, Why Do I Believe in Heaven and Hell. It's just a, a brilliant resource uh, to, for Christians to strengthen their faith and to have confidence in what they believe. But as you mentioned, also for the skeptic that's wrestling with the truth yeah. claims of uh, Christianity. He also wrote a book called Truths to Transform, um, yes. which is what our 30-minute uh, television broadcast is named uh, after. And that is a uh, just a clear, systematic approach to understanding the key doctrinal truths of the Christian faith. But I could go on and on. I know I'm biased, but yeah. it seemed like every book that he published uh, was just pure gold and just the right sure. message for the church at that time. We've got a break. Stay tuned. We're back on Truth and Liberty. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. created with a purpose, written in the heart of God, long before you were born. He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love, to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. Hey everybody, Richard Harris here. I wanted to let you know that the Truth and Liberty live call-in show is now on Twitter. You can watch us there at 3.30 Mountain Time, 5.30 Eastern Time, five days a week. Just go and follow us on Twitter at Truth and Liberty Co. That's C-O. And remember, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So don't miss out. Watch us live on Twitter. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here talking with Dr. Robert Pacienza, a colleague and friend. And, you know, we're going to go to calls. I'm going to give that number if you've got a Bible question. And this is the night, folks. Biblical worldview, uh, defending the Christian faith. Or maybe you want to share what you're thankful for this Thanksgiving week. But the number to inter interact with the conversation, it's 719 619 2341. Uh, you know, Pastor, before the break, I was, uh, I meant to say this, but, you know, there may be people that find themselves in Florida, in Fort Lauderdale, and they might be looking for a church. Um, Coral Ridge, what is the website for the church there? Yep. You can go to crpc.org crpc.org, and you can find uh, all of our church resources, all of our ministries, and of course, our worship service times, which are 9.30 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We do live stream both services, and the live stream link is on the website as well, but go to crpc.org for our service times, address, and all of our ministry opportunities. 
Mm. Uh, you know, with, with Thanksgiving uh, coming up, uh, what, what, what's your family going to be doing for Thanksgiving? Yeah, we have our whole family over, uh, grandparents, uh, some family members that are uh, here in the region. And then we take an opportunity to invite people that don't have family in town or, or widows. Uh, so we open up to widows in the church or maybe families that uh, don't have uh, family nearby. So we'll have a full house, two turkeys, um, and a lot of opportunity to uh, be grateful for the Lord's provision this past year. We really do have so much uh, for which to be grateful. And, you know, I love the history of Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, um, I had the privilege earlier today, I was on the, the radio with Franklin Graham. We were talking about Samaritan's Purse and the shoebox ministry. And um, his son, Will Graham, is in Hungary this week preaching. Uh, and it's, you know, we're 500 years from the Reformation era, and there's so many milestones related to that. And Christians in uh, Europe were persecuted. And Will Graham, it's a very significant anniversary, and he's over there preaching. But I wanted to, uh, the reason I kind of lay that out, folks, is because you need to understand that that first Thanksgiving and the pilgrims coming over here in 1620, and then in 1621, Thanksgiving, and then 1623, uh, an official Thanksgiving decree, uh, really, uh, Pastor, all of these things I see were, were links in a chain of things God was providentially doing, things that would ultimately uh, result in the birth of America. I, I actually believe America is a result of the Protestant Reformation uh, there, you know, Luther in 1517. And I want to throw yes. this to you to try to impress on people, folks, if, if you're alive at this period of history and you're an American, and better yet, you're a born-again Christian. Look, you're part of something significant that God is doing in relation to redemptive history and the Great Commission. Uh, Pastor, would, would you agree that we are part of the ripple effect of the Reformation and the fact that we're here at this time able to minister on behalf of Christ? It's no accident, is it? Not at all. I'm so glad you brought that up. I mean, mo people that have studied the Protestant Reformation are maybe vaguely familiar with it. Uh, we think, and rightfully so, we think of the doctrine of justification. We think of the 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 you know coming back to the biblical gospel we think of all of the solas of the reformation uh but without the reformation uh there is no religious liberty in the west uh we do not have the founding of of america we don't have uh the pilgrims fleeing England uh, via Holland in order to pursue religious liberty and to escape the tyranny of the king. All of mm. those are a result of the Protestant Reformation. When Martin Luther stood uh, before the Holy Roman Emperor and was asked to recant, he said, here I stand. I could do no other. He says, my conscience yeah. is bound by scripture alone. That was the birth of modern religious liberty, as you said, eventually spread west uh, throughout Western Europe, eventually spread to uh, the British Isles, and eventually uh, spread here to the New World, which eventually became the colonies, which eventually became the constitutional public that we've been enjoying for uh, roughly 250 years. Uh, mm -hmm. But without the Reformation, uh, without the birth of religious liberty in 1517 through Martin Luther and the reformers that 
that came after him. Uh, the, we do not have the constitutional republic as we have come to know it uh, here in America. Folks, the phones are open. If you have a question, we will take your calls and questions, 719-619-2341. So let me ask you this, because uh, one of my favorite authors that I I, uh, conversed with, never met him in person, we talked on the phone several times, but Dr. Rodney Stark, the twice Pulitzer-nominated historian and sociologist, and uh, Dr. Rodney Stark, by the way, folks, I highly recommend one of his books, The Victory of Reason. But he asked this question, and it relates to us today, Dr. Pacienza, but uh, Rodney Stark would say this, how did the early church prevail and ultimately overthrow Rome? And the good evangelical answer is, because the tomb was empty and Christ was risen, yay. And that's true. He says, that's right. Christ was risen. The tomb is empty. The gospel is true. But he said, actually, it it really was the salt and light influence of Christians, just little by little. Christians stayed married. Christians gave an honest day's work. Christians adopted the orphans. Christians cared for the elderly. And Dr. Rodney Stark, I'll never forget our last fun conversation before he passed. uh, He said, Christians cared for the elderly. They had an ethic of life. And he said, now it took two centuries, but Christianity was used by God to turn Rome upside down. I love the way he said it. He said, because it's just a better way to live. And he said, we can do it again. Um, I agree. What what does a, a, a paragraph like that mean to you, Dr. Pacienza? I think it's a brilliant paragraph, and you're absolutely right. Not only did Christ come into the world to save sinners and to offer personal salvation, but he also came to offer cosmic redemption and restoration. Uh, When Jesus says, you are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, a city on a hill, he was talking about a public faith. How does this faith in me not only lead you to embrace me as Savior, but embrace me as Lord? Uh, The Great Commission, he calls them to go make disciples of the nations, not just individuals, of the nations, transforming nations and societies and culture. And you're, you're, you're spot on. He, Jesus Christ and the Christian worldview that he brought into the world in the first century Uh, was paradigm shifting. It was revolutionary, uh, taking care of the widow, taking care of the orphan, elevating the role and the status of women. Um, Jesus Christ came into a world that was rampant with infanticide, abortion, human sacrifice, and all of a sudden, what changed? The Imago Dei changed. The idea that Jesus came into the world uh, to be the Lord of heaven and earth and bring this Judeo-Christian worldview to bear in the public square, it changed the world. It, it turned the world upside down. And we need mm. to remember that this is the reason that Christianity started with the remaining 11 and then 100 and then 500 and then 3,000 and eventually becomes the greatest movement the world has ever seen uh, because Amen. it wasn't a privatized faith. It was a public faith from the very beginning that not only transformed individuals, but transformed nations and cultures as well. 
We're speaking with Dr. Robert Pacienza of D. James Kennedy Ministries, and he is the author of The Hope of the World, and in Je indeed, Jesus is the Hope of the World. We're going to go to some phone calls. Uh, Donna in Texas. Donna is a Truth and Liberty and AWMI partner. Thank you so much for being a partner, Donna, and thanks for calling tonight. Happy Thanksgiving, and welcome to the program. Oh, thank you very much. Same to you guys. You know, um, they, they weren't able to fit the, the whole question in the little whatever you have there to look at. But, you know, okay. in Matthew, when the, um, Satan is tempting Jesus in chapter four. He's saying, if you are the son of God. And then like it said in the question in Romans eight, it's like, if God before you, who can be against you? And I real mm -hmm. now I know for years, I've actually been aware it could be translated since. But for years before that, I would read it as if, as a question. And my question is, why did the translators do that? Why didn't they put a positive spin on it when they translated it and used the word like since, which is affirming mm. he is the son of God, which is affirming he is for us. Mm. I mean, I don't I know you don't know the minds of the translators, but it just it has bothered me for a long time why they would do that. You, you know, uh, let, let me start this. And, and, and I get you. That's one of the. Um, things about the, in the King James translation, you know, if God be for us, who can be against us? And I, I know it could be rendered since God is for us. And, you know, uh, Paul writes in all these things, we're more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, and, you know, it, it is a reality. You know, Dr. Pacienza, I, I think that's one of those examples where Elizabethan English you know, changes where the King James will say, you know, I wot not. We don't say W-O-T, wot not. We'll say, I, I don't know, or I know not, or something like that. But I think that's one of just the idiosyncratic things about language. Here's my point. When they say, if Christ be for us, please don't construe that to mean that they were questioning whether or not Christ is for the church. He certainly is. But I think that they were, um, the word, I'm trying to think, it's, it's uh, basically a rhetorical question. You know, is Christ for us? Of course. Well, in light of that, then we are more than conquerors. But I really think that it's just one of the uh, um, anachronisms of Elizabethan English that we don't exactly think that way today. Uh, do, you, do you have any comment on that, Dr. Pacienza? Yeah, I, I think that's well said. I wouldn't read too much into the into that translation. Uh, certainly, Paul was not doubting even himself uh, and, and posing that question, but it, it was simply it was his way of making a statement. And we, and throughout the translations, it it. it doesn't translate always perfectly. I, I think that's what makes a great argument for why we need to understand or have somewhat of a good handle on the original Greek and Hebrew, uh, which mm -hmm. thank, thanks be to God, there's a lot of great resources out there. So you can uh, open up uh, the text and uh, see, you know, really what the author, the original author's intent was and not necessarily the, the translation. 
Great question. Donna, thank you for listening. And, and you know, th this relates to why that one of the things that we teach, in fact, I'll be teaching at Karis Bible College two straight weeks in December. We, we spend a fair amount of time on hermeneutics, which is really the, the discipline of accurately handling the Word of God. And oftentimes, folks, you'll, you'll hear us use the phrase uh, grammatical historical. In other words, what do, what do the words say themselves, the relationship of the words, the, the grammar, syntax, word order, but also the historical context. And just as a rule of thumb, here's the summary that I would say, when you're reading a passage, especially if it's a challenging passage, you know, read two chapters before and two chapters after to, to try to find the setting, just to the context. And, and here's what we, we tell our students. What does the passage say? Uh, what did the passage say to the original readers that would have been the first to discover it? But then here, here's the question. What is my responsibility in light of what the text says? Uh, because the Word of God is powerful and is life-changing. But thank you, Donna. Well, we're going to go to Kathy in Arkansas. And by the way, folks, the number, lines are open. You will get through. 719-619-2341 on tonight's edition of Truth and Liberty. Kathy, welcome to the program and our very special guest, Dr. Robert Pacienza. Hi. I have a question. Uh, yeah. Is it possible okay. that the, the 666 could be the WWW if you take the number six from the Hebrew alphabet? Because the number six is the Vav which is also the W, and if it's 666, the number of a man, and it's WWW, do you think the World Wide Web is connected to the mark of the beast? Wow. Well, I'm just speaking for myself here without having, without, uh, having really thought about that. I don't think the World Wide Web, the Internet, is necessarily the mark of the beast. But I will say this. One of, the, one of the things that makes me believe that we are likely in the end times has been the global wiring of the planet. And, you know, a whole other subject, we've done some shows on AI and artificial intelligence. And I've got, um, there's a question that I uh, have asked a few cybersecurity experts. In fact, I interviewed one uh, IT and cybersecurity expert from Israel. And part of the reason I say that is because Israel has some of the best military intel in the world. Dr. Pacienza, you might know this, but um, banks of, of chips and, and memory chips, I don't know if they still are, but they were initially called demons. Uh, and it was spelled in this, this old, you know, uh, D-A-E-M-O-N-S, like diamonds, uh, as in demonic. Now, here's the question I've asked more than a few IT experts. Could demons interact with hardware? I don't know if that's possible, but I know Satan and his minions can influence those who program computers. But back to your question, Kathy, um, using the web, um, being a part of, you know, interacting with cyber culture, that's not the mark of the beast. I, I don't think that. Um, to the degree that WWW, the abbreviation for World Wide Web, to the degree that that co corresponds with some 
Hebrew alphabet letters, I think that's a coincidence. I think the the mark of the beast is something else. Uh, and at the very least, it's rejecting the Lord Jesus and living under the the beliefs and behaviors of a godless world that doesn't acknowledge uh, God and truth. But but I will say this, um, what is on the web, there's a lot of good, but there's a lot of evil. There's a lot of truth. There's a lot of error. And so um, all of that to throw it to you, Dr. Pacienza, about um, AI and even blurring of the lines of what it means to be a human being. We're, we're in an age where technology has brought us to a place we've never been before. And many are using technology for evil purposes, aren't they? Absolutely. Appreciate the caller. Uh, appreciate the mm -hmm. question. It's been a while since I've uh, delved into uh, the Bible code, uh, but I agree mm -hmm. with you, Alex. I, I don't think WWW is the mark of the beast. I think the mark of the beast mm -hmm. is far more sinister, uh, far more demonic, uh, but I think it was well said that uh, the beast certainly uses the World Wide Web uh, to advance um, uh, the spiritual battle of evil uh, in our culture and in our society. And I think that's why we need to have a biblical worldview to be able, as we're taking in information from uh, the World Wide Web, as we're taking information in from all of the means of technology uh, in the 21st century, we need to be discerning. Uh, we need mm -hmm. to have the mind of Christ, uh, yeah. that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, but I think it's also an important reminder for our audience uh, to understand this is why we need Christians transforming culture. Uh, we don't need less Christians in media. We don't need less Christian scientists and less Christian innovators and less Christians in technology. Uh, that's part of the problem. Uh, we've given over technology and innovation and media uh, over to the pagans, and we're paying the price for it. Um, so if, yeah. if you're out there and you're concerned about how the devil is using media and technology, uh, get involved. Pray that, that more uh, Christian men and women would get involved in the area of media and technology and redeem uh, this medium uh, for the kingdom of God. And, and you know, I think about this, uh, folks, you might have heard of like uh, DEI scores, like diversity, equity, equity and inclusion. And in, in some parts of the world, and even in some parts of America, businesses are being graded on how diverse, how inclusive, how globalistic, and how green they are. Well, imagine, uh, you know, because Romans 13, 16 talks about the beast causes all people, small and great, to receive a mark, either in their hand or their forehead, and they couldn't buy or sell without this mark. Uh, so imagine um, if you didn't acquiesce to the LGBTQ trans uh, language. And what, what, it, what if it comes to a point where they say, now, you know, uh, hey, you posted these things about Bible versus Christianity. Are you homophobic? Are you transphobic? Uh, I, I see that you've uh, signed a petition. You stand with Israel. I'm sorry, your credit card uh, won't go through. You can't buy these groceries. You can't give your child health care. Now, but if you just uh, hit this button, we can fix this right now, and let's um, let's give you one more shot at, at your diversity score, and maybe we'll allow you to 
have the heat on in your house this winter. Um, Dr. Pacienza, now I think about smart cars and look, I, I'm as guilty as anybody. We've got mobile devices, computers, but I could see, couldn't you envision a world where so wired up, everything is just so tied into the grid that with, without free speech, freedom of religious expression, look, if the right tech overlords had control, they could stop somebody's world if they didn't acquiesce to the woke narrative, couldn't they? Absolutely. And we've seen it. This is not something we have to imagine or envision. We've seen it. Uh, we've, we, we've seen it. You know, the, the platform now called X, formerly called Twitter. Uh, sure. We saw the suppression of truth during the 2020 election. We saw mm. the suppression of truth during COVID, and even to the point where the CDC is having to come out and apologize for their misinformation that was at the time suppressed on social media. So this is not something uh, we're, we're not being doomsday. We're not uh, sitting here saying this is this could happen. It, no, it it has happened. It it is happening, and we need to be aware of what you call uh, you know the the diversity credit score, or or I've heard it yeah. even called the the social credit score. Uh, yeah. You know, looking at organizations you give to and donate to. Well, if you give to that organization and they uh, they take a stand uh, to uh, adhere to God's design for marriage and gender, uh, well, we're going to write you off. And this is all part of the woke ideology rooted in cultural Marxism that has led to what is now being called cancel culture. Uh, if the cultural elites in media, in government, the elites at the university level don't like what you say and what you stand for, uh, you'll be silenced, shamed, and ultimately canceled. That's, That's true. the world we live in. Yeah. And, and so, folks, uh, now that Christianity doesn't necessarily have, uh, shall we say, home court advantage in the United States of America, every one of you, the time for all of us to purpose in our heart, you know, like Daniel, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's, uh, you know, food. And then in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer. Uh, you've got to decide now, uh, regardless of the cost, I'm going to stand for the Lord Jesus, and I will not be silenced. And because the day might come, and just many around the world, my goodness, Christians in the Middle East have, have paid for the witness of the gospel with their own lives and around the world. So you're going to have to decide, even when the pressure is on, that you will stand for Jesus Christ. Well, we've got another call, uh, Bronson in Mississippi. By the way, folks, the number is 719-619-2341. I want to get another call before our break. Bronson, welcome to Truth and Liberty. Hi, thank you. Yes, my question is around prayer life. So say when you pray to God, you ask him for things. Is that how you're supposed to do it? Or when you pray, you're only supposed to ask for things if it's according to God's will. And the second part of this, if we can get to it, does God have a will about every little thing that happens in life? Wow, great question. Great question. Uh, so I, I want to make sure I'm getting it correctly. So when we're making our petitions, we're asking God for things. Uh, are we supposed to say, God, if it's your will, or are you saying we're only supposed to ask if it is his will? 
I guess you'd Bronson. say an extreme example, but say say you have um, somebody that you're asking to be healed. Well, God is perfectly capable of healing that he's all-powerful. But are you only supposed to ask it if it's according to his will, or can you say, Lord, I have faith, I know you, I believe this person's going to walk again, just an example. Is that how you do it, or is it only if it's, Lord, if it's your will, do this? Mm. I got you. I got you. Because, you know, I think about John 15 and 16. Uh, Jesus says, you know, if we pray according to his uh, word uh, in his name, he will do it. Um, what, what do you say, Pastor, about putting that on our prayers? God, if it's your will, how would you counsel people in that regard, Pastor? Yeah, well, I, I like what the caller alluded to uh, when he was first asking the question. I think we need to make sure that what we are praying for is in accordance with the scripture and therefore will be in accordance with the will of God, right? God's mm. re God reveals his will through scripture. Um, so we need to always measure our request, our petitions to God, uh, our supplications to God in light of his word, and therefore we will know his will. But I, I don't think there's, I, I think that's the tension, right? The tension yeah. is we believe that God is all sovereign, but he also mm. gives us free will. Um, he, he gives us the, the freedom to operate our wills according to our desires. When God comes into our life through the power of the Holy Spirit, our desires change, our wills change, but still we are free uh, beings. And so that's always the tension we live in. We, we live in, the, in light of the sovereignty of God, but in the free will of our nature that is being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And so I think we pray with that tension in mind. God, you're sovereign. God, you're all powerful. So I pray according to your will, but by faith, I pray uh, that you will answer this prayer. By faith, I believe uh, that you mm -hmm. will. You have the power to heal this individual. You have the power to provide. And so I think that's an honest way to pray in light of those two truths, the free will mm -hmm. of humanity and the sovereignty of God. And that's the mystery of God, which leads us ultimately to worship because our finite minds can't wrap themselves around uh, the power and the majesty and the sovereignty of God. You know, Pastor, I've always loved Matthew 6, 8, where Jesus says, the Father knows what we need even before we ask. And folks, that's a great thing. Bronson, thank you for this wonderful question. Folks, as we go to a break, we've got another segment. Uh, it's wonderful to know, especially this Thanksgiving week, that the Lord Jesus is for you. He has good things for you. Please believe that. I, I meet a lot of people and they for whatever reason, they have trouble believing that the Heavenly Father loves them, but He does. God loves you. He's for you. Jesus is as close by as a prayer. Stay tuned. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Truth and Liberty. With practical government, you have experts in the field that are sharing their perspective, wisdom, and experience. It's not available anywhere else in the world. We're going to teach a Christian heritage of our American government. They're going to learn about the Founding Fathers. We're teaching the Constitution, how government operates, practical skills, and field study. No matter where you're coming from, the world needs you. Whatever God's calling you to do, you're able to do it. To learn more, visit practicalgovernmentschool.com. 
Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Hi, my name is Carrie Pickett, and like many of you, I wear lots of hats. But most of all, I'm a child of God. Ever since I was young, my desire has been to share the unconditional love of God. There is nothing more rewarding to me than people changing their lives and then changing the world. That's why I'm inviting you to join me wherever you are, and let's discover together these foundational truths that will transform your life. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Our very special guest, Dr. Robert Pacienza of D. James Kennedy Ministries. Uh, great calls, great questions. That number, if you have a question, it's 719-619-2341. I do want to remind people, we've got some exciting stuff coming up at Karis Bible College, Woodland Park, Colorado, the heart of Christmas. Uh, December 8th, 9th, and 10th, 7 p.m. Friday. There are matinees on Saturday and Sunday, 2 p.m and the evening performances. Now, folks, I've got to say this, no kidding. Uh, Elizabeth Murin and the drama department at Karis, no kidding. It, it equals or really surpasses anything you would ever see on Broadway. And I, I've seen the Easter play. I've seen the uh, uh, July 4th pageant, the Christmas play, The Heart of Christmas. I've seen it every year for three or four years. It is amazing if you possibly could be in the Colorado Springs Woodland Park area. You don't want to miss the heart of Christmas. And you can get more information at awmi.net, as in Andrew Womack Ministries International, awmi.net. Then, this is so special. I saw it last year, the live nativity. Uh, December 15 through 17 at Kara, 6 to 8.30 every night. And uh, folks, if you've never seen the campus of Karis, it is world-class. I've got the privilege of teaching apologetics and biblical worldview there. I also speak in the School of Government. And uh, by the way, I can't say enough about Karis if you are looking for Christian education or just personal enrichment, biblical worldview, business, practical government, uh, drama, uh, web and IT in ministry, missions, so much. Karis Bible College will bless your life. But the live nativity scene, it's amazing. I, I don't know how they do it, but it's the best live nativity scene I've ever seen, December 15 through 17. And uh, let me encourage you also, please tell your friends about Truth and Liberty. Uh, I said earlier that I was on a radio program with Richard Harris, and we were telling people about the, the voter guide. Uh, there are tabs on the resources part of the website, truthandliberty.net. So many things to encourage you, to equip you, to enable you to influence others. And no matter what state you live in, you can keep tabs on what candidates' positions are, because look, whether it be marriage, life, school choice, freedom of religious expression, just constitutionalism. 
And we talk about things like natural law, the, the uh, worldview that birthed the Declaration, Constitution, and Bill of Rights. Tell people about truth and liberty. And like Dr. Uh, Robert Pacienza was talking about, that we are to be salt and light in the public square. And Pastor, uh, I want to again give you the chance to give out websites where people can watch you minister and preach online, where people can find your books. So tell us, for those just tuning in, about your ministries and where they can find you on the web. Yeah, so our website for our church, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, can be found at crpc.org. You can find our worship times, our live stream, sermons, and other resources to help you grow in the Christian faith and apply a biblical worldview to all of life. And then our media ministry, D. James Kennedy Ministries, can be found at djkm.org, djkm.org. There you can find all of our resources, digital and print, all of Dr. Kennedy's books, my books, other authors' books that we've commissioned and published, DVDs, digital downloads, and all also the TV listings for our weekend program, Truths the Transform. You know, uh, in the previous segment, we were talking about America, and you mentioned that the founders envisioned America to be a city on a hill. It reminds me of the Puritan leader, John Winthrop, of the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1630. And he was speaking about, you know, the burgeoning young nation. He said, for we must consider that we shall be as a city on a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. You know, I, I would suspect you and I could do a whole show just on that one quote. But uh, a city on a hill, they, they really did believe that America would be that, that we would be, um, yeah, good civil government, but, but a culture of righteousness and godliness that the world couldn't fail to see. That, that's how they saw this country, wasn't it? Absolutely. When Jesus, when Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5, it was a revolutionary concept. Um, at the time when he said that, the, the ultimate city was Rome. And what Jesus was saying was a very politically charged statement. Uh, he was saying, no, you, the church, my people, you're an, you're an alternate city. You're a city within a city. Uh, bigger than Jerusalem, bigger than Athens, bigger than Rome, you, the people of God, are the alternate city. You are the light to the nations. And as you said, when the Puritans came here in the 17th century, they said, you are going to be in the, in the midst of this world. You're going to not be of the world, but you're going to be in the world. Uh, but you're going to be a better city uh, than any city that human uh, humankind can build and develop. We're going to build a city according to the virtues and the principles of Almighty God as these truths are found uh, in the self-evident creator uh, that our mm. founders ultimately talked about uh, when they wrote our founding uh, documents as a constitutional republic. Uh, we're, we're not on a script here, folks. I'm just... Uh thanking God for how I believe his Holy Spirit is leading this conversation. So I'm going to throw something at you. You know, we, we didn't rehearse or anything here, but Romans 1 and 2 speaks about the law of God written on every heart, Dr. Pacienza. Um, when, when the Gentiles who didn't have the, the law of God instinctively by nature did the things prescribed by the law shows that the law is written on their heart. This is Romans 1 and 2. Now, here's my question. Um, I want to talk about 
It's a word that the book of Romans uses, reprobate. When people suppress truth and really just uh, ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's a frightening thing to ponder, folks, uh, hitting a point where you can no longer even discern the voice of the Holy Spirit, reprobate. Uh, we, we don't often hear that kind of language anymore. I, I, I would suspect very few pulpits preach on this kind of thing. But um, speak, if you would, about reprobation. Th- there's a point where people have pushed God away so many times, uh, they just can't hear His voice anymore. That, that is a biblical concept, isn't it? Romans chapter 1 is an indictment of all humanity. Basically, what Paul is saying is that there's not some people that know the truth and some people that are ignorant to the truth. He's saying there's some people that acknowledge the truth and there's some people that are just lying about it, uh, that they are actually suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. He's basically calling any, any human being that does not acknowledge the truth of God and doesn't adhere to it is basically a liar, that every mm. Jew and Gentile actually has the law of God written on their hearts. And then as you talked about the doctrine of reprobation, uh, the doctrine of being separated from God and God pushing you away, um, I often say that some of the scariest words in all of the Bible is God gave them over. Mm. God gave them yes. over. And that, that is the principle and the doctrine of reprobation. Uh, God gave them over to exactly what they long for. You, you long to live as if there is no God. You long to live as if there is no absolute truth. You, you long to live as if you are the, uh, the one that can write the rules and write the laws and, and ignore the law of God or act as if the law of God is not there and you know better. God says, I gave them over. And that is a... Uh, a, a sobering statement uh, in the Bible and a sobering statement as we see the godlessness in our society today. Well, you know, the, in, in any generation, there are sinners and sin. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to say, you know, uh, God can't tell me how to behave. But, but I think like with transgenderism, it's almost doctor, like the sentiment of saying, you know, God can't define what I am. I was born a biological male. I'm going to identify as female. And um, you feel free to disagree. But with the, the imposition of transgender thought, I mean, just being forced into the culture, even in medicine, just this week, I was reading about how medical schools and medical journals are just forcing transgender language and saying, I'm not even going to repeat some of it, but the, the idea that a male can conceive and, and deliver a baby, and it's transphobic to say that only a female has a womb and can bear a child. Um, w- with all of this just anti-reality sentiment, are we seeing examples of reprobation in our midst? I mean, people that are so uh, alienated from truth that they, they're just living and advocating unreality. Is this, is this reprobation? Absolutely. And it's been, the world has been spiraling, spiraling out of control ever since Genesis chapter three, when the serpent mm-hmm. asked our first pa- parents, Adam and Eve, did God really say that? 
um, that was really the beginning of challenging the authority of God and challenging ultimately the authority of God's word. And what has happened uh, ever since then of Genesis chapter three, the fall of mankind, is that we have uh, we have wanted to to become the creator. Uh, so instead of human beings discovering the truth that has already been defined by God, uh, we reverse the created order. We want to be the ones that define truth. We want to be the ones that define uh, what a male is and what a female is. We want to define gender and sexuality and marriage and family. We want to define that which is right and that which is wrong. Um, and what we're seeing today is absolute chaos uh, because we have chosen as a society to live as if we are God. Uh, we, we long to be self-sovereign. We long to be self-sufficient. Uh, how dare anybody, any God, uh, any book tell us how to live? And, uh, you know, Alex, to be honest with you, I not only see this in secular culture, I'm seeing this inside the church as well. Mm. I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing Christians say, I, I believe that the word, I believe that the Bible is the word of God but it doesn't have the right to tell me how to live. It doesn't have the right to tell me what to do. And right. it's amazing. We are living in unprecedented times, scary times, uh, times where, uh, yes, to getting back to your original question, are, are we seeing reprobate minds uh, in droves in society, even inside the church? And I, I say, ap absolutely. When we can acknowledge that the Bible is the word of God, but at the same time, acknowledge and admit that I have no desire to live under its authority, to no longer live under its reign and rule, that it will not tell me how to live or what to believe. Um, th this is this is truly uh, amazing times that we're living in. Well, it is. And, you know, you said one of the scariest uh, or most frightening words where it says God gave them up. Uh, and I'll tell you another uh, phrase that is very troubling is uh, they're without excuse. And, yes. and you know, I think about this when, when the human race stands before God and folks, the Bible says at the great white throne, there's the judgment of the unsaved nations. The, they rejected truth. And here's the, the frightening indictment. And that's why if you're watching this program and you're, you've never opened your heart to Christ and been born again, repented of sin, turned to Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, save me. Lord, I do believe you are the son of God. I do believe when you died on the cross, you did that for me. Dear Lord, I turn from sin to faith in you. Please save me. Jesus will save you tonight. We often say this, folks. Jesus is as close by as a prayer. And if you need to make sure that you're born again tonight, call this number. Look, no strings attached. We, we don't we're not asking for anything. We just want to encourage you and help you know that you have Christ in your life. And the number, if you want to pray with somebody, is 719-635-1111. 719-635-1111. But pastor, the, the idea where before God uh, to millions of, of unsaved people, they are without excuse and they, they will know it wasn't that they didn't know truth. They knew truth, but they rejected truth. That's a frightening thing. And we, we pastors and evangelists, we say to people, don't, don't be that person. Turn to Christ now while you have an opportunity. 
We're, we're talking about eternal things, aren't we, Pastor? Absolutely. Every time I step into the pulpit, I understand that this is an eternal moment. Uh, that this is a spiritual battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. And so I always encourage pastors, I, and I pray for encouragement for myself, uh, that yeah. I would not back down. Uh, call sin, sin. Uh, call out what's happening in society for, for what it is. Uh, our world is not just wrong. Uh, we're seeing demonic forces of evil. Uh, when when, when, uh, when uh, we live in a, in a state, uh, when you live in a, in a society where uh, the government and educators have more rights uh, and have more authority over a child, uh, what a child would be learning, uh, a, a child being enabled to make a decision to, uh, to transition their gender. I mean, that's the, that's the world we live in. We're no longer, this is not a, a battle of flesh and blood. Uh, this is not that's just right. a matter of, of somebody being right and somebody being wrong. This is demonic, and we need to call out the forces of evil in our society uh, for what it is, uh, because we're robbing people of the glory of God, and we're robbing people of the good news that is found in Jesus Christ alone. Mm. 719-619-2341. We're going to go to Wisconsin. Tim in Wisconsin. Thanks for holding. Tim is a Truth and Liberty supporter. By the way, you can be a partner with Truth and Liberty, a supporter, if you would make a recurring gift of at least $5 a month, and you would be a partner with Truth and Liberty, as is Tim from Wisconsin. Thanks for holding, and welcome to the program, Tim. Yes. Hi, Alex. Um, how are you guys doing this evening? Good. Good to have you. Yes, my question is sort of building off uh, a couple callers ago, uh, I think it was Donna, I can't remember, asked about um, the Internet being the mark of the beast. And, and you guys are saying about how this, the, the social credit score, you know, could limit based on our acceptance of LGBT ideology or woke ideology. My question is, are they going to try? I mean, there's, there's a push to get rid of cash and have cryptocurrency and all electronic currency and all that. Do you think they'll be able to get, do you think, do you think they'll succeed in getting rid of cash in the near future? I mean, I can definitely see that as being something that could, if they can get rid of cash, you know, and it's all electronic transfer, it'd definitely be a way they could control us more and what we can or can't buy. What do you guys think about that? Uh, let, let me start and I'll throw to uh, Pastor uh, this is an example of why America must remain a sovereign nation. You know, sad thing about it is, folks, we are, are becoming so rapidly insolvent. Right now, the interest, the interest on the national debt is about $1 trillion. And, uh, it, you know, there's only so much GDP that a nation, America, can muster in a given year. And uh, my goodness, um, there's such a, a problem with unrestrained spending. But, but let me say this. We as a nation must never become subservient to the UN and to the World Economic Forum. And there is a push for a global currency. Now, whether that, that's physical paper money and coins, I, I really doubt it. I really do think um, that global currency will become more and more electronic currency. Um, and, and I know, look, we've all bought stuff online. We've all probably used 
you know, PayPal or something like Cash App or something to pay for stuff. So virtually everybody has, if you've got direct deposit at your job, we've all dabbled in some sort of, of electronic funds transfer already. But I want to say the United States of America and the U.S. dollar has been and to a degree is the strongest currency in the world. But part of this inflation is, folks, people say my, my grocery money doesn't buy me as much food as it used to. That's because the dollar isn't worth what it used to be. The, a strong dollar is of value to everybody. And you might be saying, well, Alex, you're a minister. Why are you talking about all this? Because the gospel is free, but it takes resources to deliver that free message. So it's in all of our interest as a Christian that the dollar be strong, the economy be good, people can support missions and support their church and have an ethic of giving. But I want to say I'm seeing the, the incremental push to get rid of cash. I mean, many, many airports, you go in airports, I do a lot of flying, and oh my goodness, half of the places, if you try to get a cup of coffee in the airport, uh, they don't take cash. Got to be card. Or, or you know, you wave your um, electronic watch or something over the, the scanner. So, uh, Pastor, uh, you can speak to it if you would. What, what are your thoughts on just the slow minimizing of cash? Not to mention checks. See, I'm, I'm old school. I still write checks for things. But um, going to a cashless electronic commerce world, what, what are your thoughts about that, Pastor? Alex, I'm not an economist or a son of economist, but <laughs> I know enough to realize uh, that any time those in power try to centralize that power, um, we know that the results are never going to be good uh, for the majority. And we need to remember in this instance in particular, when it comes to currency, the attempt from the those in power to centralize currency is just another example of going against what the founders intended. We made it, it the constitution is not a contract. It's a covenant. And we made yes. covenant with each other in uh, the 18th century when this constitutional republic was founded, that there would be a there would be checks and balances because they realized that we're all sinful human beings and that if power was too centralized in a small group of people or one person in particular, that corruption would be the result. And so we need to be very careful and very cautious when we see any type of power centralized, like I said, including uh, currency being centralized, going all the way to cryptocurrency so that the powers that be can control and manipulate uh, spending and, and uh, buying and purchasing uh, and investments. Uh, we, we need to understand that that centralization of power goes against what the founders intended because of the sinfulness of humanity and corruption will always be the result. Here's another example, not to get on my hobby horse. Mm. This is why elections have consequences. Amen. That's why when you hear pastors say, well, elections don't matter and we don't need to get involved in politics and in government, 
No, we need to make sure that godly men and women that understand checks and balances, understand what the founders intended by, the, uh, by what they crafted in the covenant of the Constitution, uh, and to ensure uh, that power is not centralized to the few, uh, but that we really do exist as a nation and that we return to what it means to be we the people. Uh, we are the ones that are governing uh, this nation together in covenant with each other before Almighty God. Mm. Wow. Tim, great question. Great question. And look, I love what you said. I'm not an economist or the son of an economist, uh, you know, but uh, to paraphrase Amos there. But let me say this, folks. Here, here's what I know about money. Be a tither. If you're a born-again believer, honor the Lord with thy substance, the first fruits of, of all thine increase. Uh, God will bless you if you honor him. And, and see, folks, tithing, giving tithes and offerings, uh, it, it really shows trust. To if you've, if you've given God your heart and your soul, give Jesus your purse, your pocketbook, as they say, and, and trust God and be obedient in your giving, and he will bless you. He will. We've got time for maybe one or two more questions, 719-619-2341, um, Dr. Robert Pacienza, you have been gracious with your time, and we are so honored to have you. I was wanting to piggyback on something you said, so let me ask this question. What is a covenant? What is the biblical meaning of the word covenant? Yeah, a covenant uh, needs someone who is initiating it and someone who is uh, following the precepts or the stipulations of that covenant. Um, it's binding. Um, and the biblical covenant was you were you were bound uh, by, by death. Uh, that if you broke the stipulations of that covenant, uh, you pronounced judgment and wrath upon yourself. And so it was something that was more than just a paper contract that could be easily dismissed or easily broken. Uh, you were pledging your life to following the stipulations of the covenant, and that covenant came with blessings. Uh, you followed mm -hmm. the stipulations of the covenant, you were blessed. You uh, broke the stipulations of the covenant covenant and you brought upon curse and judgment upon yourself. And once again, the founders of America, guided by the Judeo-Christian worldview, understood that the only way that America would flourish is not with simply a contract of how we were right. going, to go, going to govern ourselves. We needed to enter into covenant with each other before Almighty God, uh, that we would pledge our lives uh, to ensuring uh, that we would be able to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As a covenant nation, because I agree, I, I do think America is a covenant nation. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've read so much, as I'm sure you have too, about the founders, and they believed that America would be, you know, as uh, there, there was a famous geography textbook by a man named Arnold Guyot, uh, G-U-Y-O-T, and this was used up until the late 1970s. It was called Comparative Physical Geography, and it quotes Patrick Henry, who said America, listen, quote, would be a leading link in the gospel dispensation. In other words, they believed this was a covenant nation that would somehow be used by God in terms of the Great Commission. And indeed, Absolutely. America has. I mean, we, for two centuries, have been kind of the driving force between the 
behind the Great Commission. Now, here, world missions. But here, here's my point. Uh, as, as a nation birthed with open hearts and pleased to God, uh, is that covenant still in force? As backslidden, as carnal as we might currently be, is the covenant and the compact with the Lord Jesus still in force for the USA, Pastor? Absolutely. I think that's the only explanation for as bad as things are in America right now. It is really unprecedented that a nation like ours would experience the flourishing that we've experienced for so long. I mean, we're coming upon the 250th anniversary of America in 2026. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a miracle, uh, but it's a miracle that is only explained by the supernatural hand of the providential God. Uh, God's hand has been upon this nation from the beginning. Uh, we entered into covenant with him. Uh, and I firmly believe uh, that got, that covenant stands. When the Puritans came over and they crafted the Mayflower Compact, it talked about the purpose of this land, that it would be dedicated to the glory of God. It would be used for the advancement of the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I firmly believe that that covenant uh, that was established uh, at the very beginning of this nation, uh, that God still has his hand, uh, the hand of divine providence that George Washington cherished and he wrote about and he talked about so often uh, is still that providential hand that is guiding our nation, even in its darkest hours. Pastor, you are a blessing. What, what a joy to converse with you this evening. And folks, it's Thanksgiving week. And I want you to know, folks, with all my heart, as we sit around the table and Angie and I, we bow our heads and we thank God for so many things. Truth and Liberty audience, I'm thankful for you. The amazing crew uh, that help produce this broadcast five nights a week. So pray, promote, and stand for truth. And Pastor, I want to say thank you, and I look forward to getting online and hearing your messages, and uh, God's blessings on you and your family this Thanksgiving season and always. Thank you so much, Alex. God bless you, and I pray that you have a blessed Thanksgiving. Uh, let, let's converse again soon. Folks, this has been Truth and Liberty. The website, truthandliberty.net, I, I want to ask a favor. If you would share this with your social media circle, tell people about Truth and Liberty. They're amazing guests every night. Just in recent weeks, you know, we've had Jonathan Kahn, and we've had Ken Ham, and we've had Kevin Sorbo, and so many great people. And so tell people, spread the word, and be informed, and be a blessing to others. And let me remind you, one of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, says, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It, it isn't, folks. That witness that you exude for Christ, reminding people about their relationship to the Lord, being an influence, whether it be just uh, prayer or marriage or the authority of God's word, remember, we are to be steadfast always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. May God bless you. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty 